I think we need to take a selfie. We need to take a selfie. Um, <laughs> what a great Christmas present. We're going to be high tech around here. And if you want to stay low tech, you can do that too. We will. <laughs> I, I am low tech and I like my Bible. I like my journal. I like to write with a pencil and a paper. <laughs> Are you ready to talk about the Christmas story again tonight? This is the last lesson in our little three-part series, and tonight, the title of tonight's is There's More to the Story. In the first week, we talked about the prequel and everything leading up to the birth of Christ, and then last week, oh, the wonder. How many of you sat in wonder this week about who he is and all that he's done? It was just so good to be reminded of the wonder of what Christmas really means. And um, we're going to talk just for a minute about there's more to the story because Christmas really is more than a once-a-year thing. And so we were driving to church tonight after we gathered all the teenagers in the neighborhood. So we are in the car a lot. But I asked the kids, when I say Christmas, what do you think? And um, I go, you can't say the birth of Jesus. I want to know what else you think, what feelings it evokes, what, what do you, what's the first thing that you think about? And so um, Allie said, well, that's hard because I always just want to say Jesus. <laughs> I go, yeah, but let's get out of just the rote answer. She goes, well, I would say family. And Alex said the same thing. And I go, what else? What else does it make you think about? And Mitchell said giving. And I said, that's a good one. And Alex said curiosity. Because he just wants to know what's in those presents, man. He just, when he sees them, he wants to know what they are. And I wouldn't put it past him if he unwrapped them, looked at them, and wrapped them back up. Like somebody else I know <laughs> did when he was a teenager. So the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In fact, Alex confessed to me that he was a present peeker. So I'm guessing that he did that at some point. But what would you say? If I say Christmas, what kind of feelings does that evoke? Joy. Excitement, memories. That's it? Nobody else wants <laughs> to participate? You just want me to talk to you tonight. That's okay. I can do that too. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm just not feeling Christmas this year? And this year, I think especially because we equate it with the, the carols and the snow and the hot chocolate and it stirs up all this sentimentality and of days gone by and, you know, silver bells and Bing Crosby and white Christmas and all, all those things are kind of wrapped up in Christmas. And um, I just said, what is Christmas? Is it warm fuzzies? Is it carols? Is it trees and presents and lights or baking and shopping and wrapping? Is it planning and stress? <laughs> is it family gatherings? Or not, <laughs> because of everything that family gatherings stir up, you know, like the stress <laughs> and the drama. Does anyone have drama at their Christmas table? But um, I, I just did a little, tiny, the tiniest bit of research on it, and you know, holiday just means a day of festivity or recreation when no work is done. That is the definition of the word holiday. And we hear it around Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's the holidays. It's the holiday season. And I'm thinking, I really wish it was when no work is done. <laughs> I do more work between Thanksgiving and Christmas than I do any other time of the year. Like that isn't a true definition of holiday. 
But I think it was really interesting that nowhere in the Acts or the Epistles do you see them celebrating Christmas. They don't talk about celebrating Christmas. Communion, yes. But Christmas, no. The word's not even in the Bible. The essence of it is there. Obviously, the story of it is there. But the word Christmas isn't even in the Bible. In fact, there's no record of it for the first 300 years of Christendom. Christendom. (laughs) It wasn't until the 4th century that they even started really celebrating Christmas. And you know why they didn't celebrate it? The early church didn't celebrate any birthdays or anniversaries because it was too much like the pagan culture that they lived in. And they didn't want to be related to the pagan culture. In fact, nowhere in the Bible does it even say what day was Jesus' birthday. And it's likely that it was not December 25th. You know, if... If it was in December, the shepherds probably wouldn't have been in the field unless it was this December. (laughs) I mean, next Wednesday, the high is 63. 63. You can wear your flip-flops to Christmas Eve service, folks. (laughs) But in December, in Israel, it's too cold for the shepherds to be out at night. The sheep would have been in the pen. So... Whatever. And you know, December 25th uh, is when they started celebrating it because they aligned it to a Roman pagan holiday. But do you know why? Do you know what was behind that? And everyone's all up in arms. Oh, we shouldn't celebrate Christmas because it's, you know, pagan, pagan, pagan. But they put it with that holiday as a means to spread the gospel. If we celebrate something the same time they're celebrating something, then we're going to get to share the good news. If we have a festival, when they're having a festival, we're going to get to share the good news. And so you can be okay with it now because we're just going to share the good news. (laughs) Just some little fun facts about Christmas. You know who gave Santa Claus his red suit? Does anyone know who gave Santa Claus his red suit? No. The kids gave it to him for Christmas one year. No. Coca-Cola. Santa Claus first had a red suit from Coca-Cola because it matched their can. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting little fun fact you never knew about Christmas? Um, Advent was never celebrated until the 6th century, and they started celebrating the four Sundays before Christmas with the anticipation of Christmas, so they added that then. The 11th century was when the word Christmas was first used in English. So how many hundreds of years after the birth of Christ? The 17th century is the first mention of a Christmas tree in Germany, and the 19th century was when it became modernized with all the sentimentality and it Uh, a Christmas carol and all those warm, fuzzy feelings that come with Christmas. Santa Claus was really made popular in the 19th century. So what is Christmas? What is Christmas? Christmas is John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. And I love that Bill sang that song, Emmanuel, tonight. Because that really is what Christmas is. It's when we set aside 
a season or a day to say, Jesus came, he's with us, and he never left. And so you know what that means? That means that every day should be Christmas. (laughs) Every day should really be Christmas. Not in the sense of the stress and the pressure and the planning. Jesus' birth was the most planned Christmas ever. But I just, again, with the wanting to, to get away from the being desensitized by everything that's going on around us, we gave a little history of Christmas, and really it was just a mass to celebrate the birth of Christ. All the hoopla didn't come out until later. And guess what? That's what we're doing tonight. That's what we do when we get up in the morning and we read our Bible Or when we go to bed at night and we say, Father, I thank you that you were with me today, that you protected me, that you protected my kids, that you brought us home safe. That's celebrating what Jesus did, that he came. Because he could have never done what he did if he didn't first come. And so we want to just read um, a little bit more into Luke. And I feel bad. We could probably talk about the Christmas story for another three or four weeks. We never hit Matthew and his version of it. We never hit the wise men. We never hit John chapter 1. We never hit any of that. They're escaping to Egypt. They're coming home. How they ended up in Nazareth. We didn't hit any of that. There's so much more to this story. But these are some things as I was studying it, as I was reading it, that I felt that Holy Spirit wanted us to see tonight. So let's go back to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 21. Last week we ended off in verse 20 with the shepherds going back to the fields with their sheep and just marveling and praising God for everything that they had seen. Verse 21, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so they're obeying the law. They're doing everything that the word told them to do regarding Jesus. And verse 25, while they were there, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Eagerly waiting. Say eagerly waiting. waiting. Who else is eagerly waiting? How many of us watch the news and say, come Lord Jesus? (laughs) We are also eagerly waiting Messiah to come and bring heaven to earth. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him, say the Spirit led him. The Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Let's stop for just a second. The Spirit led him. What would have happened if old Simeon hadn't gone to the temple? He would have totally missed out on what God promised him all along. 
The Spirit led him, and guess what? The Spirit still leads us. And I loved, how many of you were here first service Sunday? Any of you? Jim Gazan, do you all know Jim? Sits over yonder with his wife, Tina. They had, he just finished anesthesiology school. He's going to be an anesthesiologist. And uh, he's been looking for work, and things are all tied up with his paperwork, trying to get this job. And uh, he and his wife signed up to wrap gifts at the mall. It's a great thing, isn't it? So while he was there, lo and behold, the head of H, is it the head of HR, babe, that came to have gifts wrapped at the table? He's like, I'm going to wait on this one right here. (laughs) So they struck up a conversation, and lo and behold, he gets a job. She goes, I can't get you in right here right now, but guess what? I can get you in over here. And then when this is all worked out, I mean, he needed income. They were really praying for a job. Anesthesiology school is expensive. But God led them to wrap gifts, and while they were there, he provided for them. So important to follow those promptings of the Holy Spirit. So important to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He led Simeon to the temple, not because he wanted something from Simeon. He wanted to bless him. He promised him, you're going to see the Messiah. And he wanted to fulfill his promise to him. He didn't want anything from him. He wanted to get something to him. Sometimes I think we don't obey because we're like, oh, I have to do one more thing. God's not trying to just get something from us. He's trying to make sure we're in the right place at the right time so he can get a blessing to us. Amen. He took the child in his arms and praised God and blessed him. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. He must have been old (laughs) because he was ready to die. Now let your servant die in peace. This was the only thing that Simeon was living for. Seeing Jesus was the only thing left on his bucket list. As soon as he crossed that one off, he was ready to go to heaven. What are we living for? Are we just living to see his face? Are we living to see his word be done in the earth? Are we living to see his promises fulfilled in our lives? Or are we living just for us? Just some things to keep in mind. But this is what he blessed the child with. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations He is the glory of your people, Israel. That's good. That's a blessing, right? Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them. Say blessed. You think of good things when we say the word bless and blessing, right? And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul. How many of you would like it if that was the blessing we said on Sunday morning over you? All right, everyone stand. Now we're going to speak a blessing. May a sword pierce your soul. Not the words that come to mind when I think of the word blessing. But what I like about what I like about this is that really Christmas is not just all Christmas trees and candy canes. 
right? It's not just all warm fuzzies and good feelings. There's more to the story. It started with the birth, but there was a purpose for the life. And a sword was going to pierce her soul, and he was going to offend many. And this blessing, what he blessed the parents with, was not good news in the natural, right? And I, we would be up there saying, uh, we rebuke that. <laughs> you can take those words and just go away, because that's not what I'm receiving. I'm receiving good news today, good news of great joy. Didn't you hear the angel? Didn't you hear the shepherds? But when I was studying this, what I remembered and thought about was Isaiah 53. And I want to go there. I want to read it real quick out of, that's 52, out of the voice translation. And it says, indeed, who would ever believe it? Which is what most translations to say, who has believed the report of the Lord? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is this section of scripture. Indeed, who would ever believe it? Who would possibly accept that what we've been told? Who has witnessed the awesome power and plan of the eternal in action? Out of emptiness he came like a tender shoot from rock-hard ground. He didn't look anything. He didn't look like anything or anyone of consequence. He had no physical beauty to attract our attention. This is talking about Jesus. So he was despised and forsaken by men. This man of suffering grief's patient friend, as if he was a person to avoid, we looked the other way. He was despised, forsaken, and we took no notice of him. Yet it was our suffering he carried, our pain and distress, our sick to the soulness. We just figured that God had rejected him, that God was the reason he hurt so badly, but he was hurt because of us. He suffered so Our wrongdoing wounded and crushed him. He endured the breaking that made us whole. And the injuries he suffered became our healing. We all wandered off like shepherdless sheep scattered by our aimless striving and endless pursuits. The eternal one laid on him, this silent sufferer, the sins of us all. And in the face of such oppression and suffering, there was silence not a word of protest, not a finger raised to stop it. Like a sheep to a shearing, like a lamb to be slaughtered, he went, oh so quietly, oh so willingly. Oppressed and condemned, he was taken away from this generation who was there to complain. Who was there to cry foul? He was, after all, cut off from the land of the living, smacked and struck. Not on his account, because of how my people, my people, disregarded the lines between right and wrong. They snuffed out his life. And when he was dead, he was buried with the disgraced in a borrowed space among the rich, even though he did no wrong by word or deed. Yet the Eternal One planned to crush him all along, to bring him grief, this innocent servant of God. When he puts his life in sin's dark place, in the pit of wrongdoing, the servant of God will see his children and have his days prolonged. For in his servant's hand, the eternal's deepest desire will come to pass and flourish. As a result of the trials and troubles that racked his soul, God's servant will see light and be content because he knows and really understands what it's all about. 
My servant will justify countless others by taking on their punishment and bearing it away. Because he exposed his very self, laid bare his soul to the vicious grasping of death, and was counted among the worst, I will count him among the best. I will allot this one, my servant, a share in all that is of any value. Because he took on himself the sin of many and acted on behalf of those who broke my law. In just a couple verses, I want to read out in the New Living Translation. Verse 10 says, It was the Lord's good plan. Say good plan. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. It was God's good plan to crush him. And he was content with that. You know why? Because he knew there was more than just this. He knew there was more than what we could touch and feel and taste and see. He knew there was more than that. He made his life an offering for sin when he died on the cross. And it said after he made his life an offering for sin, he would enjoy a long life. How do you enjoy a long life after you die? Because you're aware of the fact that this isn't it. This is a blip. This is a blip on the timeline of eternity. Even if we lived to be 120, it's a blip. I am 45 years old, and it seems like just yesterday I was 20. And even quicker than that, Alex was a baby, and he's 16. It's a blip. Because he understood that there's more to life than what we see. And so as we approach Christmas this year and start to celebrate and continue to celebrate that Jesus came, we want to remember that part of that Christmas story was the prophecy of what was going to happen. Isaiah 53 is what Simeon was talking about, that a sword would pierce her soul. And he ran at it. Jesus ran to do it because he knew there was more than what he could see. There was more than just flesh and blood. And that's what God wants us to continually see. I was talking to Mike Lasella's son, Dan. His name's Dan, right? Mike sings up on the worship team. And uh, we were at a Christmas party, and Dan and his, his girlfriend were sitting with us. And we just started talking about his story. And uh, they went through a rough patch about um, six or seven years ago. He was at a crucial teenager age, uh, and there was just kind of mayhem all around them. He didn't, things were going on in the church that they didn't understand, and people were getting hurt, and there was so much that he didn't understand, and Mike was helping him to try to, to navigate through everything so that he didn't lose, you know, his way. Because when you're a teenager, it's so crucial, <laughs> such a crucial time. You're still forming your beliefs and everything. And he said, my dad sat me down and said, Dan, I don't understand everything. He goes, to be honest, I don't understand anything. I don't know why any of this has happened, but what I do know is God is good. He is always good. So we need to hold on to that. And so when life isn't all Christmas trees and candy canes, when it isn't all presents and carols and fun, we can hold on to God is good. He's here with us. 
He's here with me. It doesn't matter what we walk through. He'll walk us through. That's why he was born. So that he could be here. Amen? Amen. Everyone say, God is good. good. Say, there's more to life than what I see. And God is good. Amen. Amen. In verse 36, it says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. There are a lot of old people (laughs) in the story of the birth of Jesus. We have Zechariah and Elizabeth who were well-stricken, remember? They were well-stricken in years. Samuel was ready to just die as soon as he saw Jesus. And now we have Anna who was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She was probably over 100, depending on when she did get married. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly, for God to rescue Jerusalem. And what I love about Anna is that she was very old. And that for 84 years, she dedicated her life to prayer. And I believe, because she started to prophesy about it, and she started to talk to people about Jesus and those who were waiting expectantly for Messiah, is that he was the crux of what she was praying for. When you're eagerly expecting something, and I think Simeon was too all those years, when you're eagerly expecting something, generally you're in prayer about it. How many of you women have had children? How many of you were Christians when you were pregnant? How many of you prayed over what you were eagerly expecting? We used to pray over our kids, speak the word over them the whole time, from the minute we found out we were pregnant till we had them and beyond. Jesus' first coming was saturated with prayer. Jesus' second coming needs to be saturated with prayer. I love that the last words of the whole Bible close to the last, were, Come, Lord Jesus. The last prayer was, Come, Lord Jesus. And I've heard people say, that's kind of a selfish prayer. But it really isn't. He is coming again. And when you even just pray those simple words, come Lord Jesus, it puts, puts that pressure on everything that needs to happen for that to happen, to happen. Are we eagerly anticipating the second coming of Christ? And the other thing I really love about Anna is she shows us that you're never too old to have purpose. And I can't tell you how many older people I talk to who get depressed and in the doldrums because that's it, they're done. My friend and I talk a lot about her parents who are retired, and all that they talk about is what food they ate and what food they're going to eat next and their doctor visits. And she goes, please, let us never. (laughs) We will never be, even if we ever do retire. Please let us never be them. Let us always be connected to purpose. And uh, I get it. The older you get, your body doesn't do the same things. 
I can't sit on the floor Indian style as long as I used to be able to. And when I get up, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, where did that come from? And I'm only 45. But you're never, ever, ever, ever too old to pray. Ever. Your words will always carry as much power as they always had. My body might not always have as much strength as it always has or will, but my prayers will always have as much power. Why? Because his promises are backed by all the power of his name. And when we pray his word, that's what you're praying. You're not just speaking words out into the air for nothing. When you declare the word and the promises of God that are backed by all the power of his name, you're praying power into the earth. Which is why we started daily prayer at the church. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you come at, it's noon. I haven't been there yet. I've been praying on my own. <laughs> I will get there. <laughs> did I mention the stress and planning part of Christmas? Yes, I did. <laughs> but that's why we started daily prayer at the church. Because we believe that we need to be praying for the rain. We need to believe that, uh, we do believe that nothing happens in this earth unless somebody prays. Like John Wesley said. We believe that prayer pulls heaven down into earth. And you can't ever do that enough. And the more we pray, the more heaven is released, the more power is released, more life of God is released. 84 years Anna spent praying. You can never pray too long. You can never pray to the point where God's up there going, gosh, I wish they would just stop talking. Never, ever, ever (laughs) will you ever hear that or see that. I was reading in Revelation as part of my daily Bible, and it got to the part where it says they were holding the prayers of the saints. I'm like, my prayers are in there. They don't disappear. They don't dissipate. He's got them, right? Let's give him something to work with. Let's give him more to work with. Amen. He has limited himself to his word, right? And so he needs us to speak his word forth in this earth. That's how it comes to pass. That's how it it is. We don't originate the moving of his power. It's always his power that brings it to pass. It always originates with him. Because guess who spoke the word? We didn't come up with that on our own. And when we're praying the word, we're just agreeing with him. We're being his mouth on this earth. Amen? Amen. I love Anna. So we're going to pray, right? Verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee, and there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. So after all this happened, they went home. The end. No, seriously, after fulfillment is when all the work starts. <laughs> we think we get tired of praying and waiting. Mm-mm. After fulfillment is when all the work starts. It's a lot of work to have a dream come to pass. 
He opened, you know, open doors, Father, open doors. I used to pray that. Open doors, open doors for ministry, open doors for ministry. And he did. And now I'm like, don't open that many. Don't open that many doors. That's too many doors. Because you close a couple of those doors. You know why? It's a lot of work. (laughs) Dreams are a lot of work. Fulfillment of promises are a lot of work. We just think we're just going to sit back and God's going to do it all. Well, he fulfills. And he's like, all right, here you go. Run. Run with it. It is, it is a lot of work. So then Mary had to teach him how to, what, eat, how to potty train, how to talk, how to write, how to read. Later on in, the, in Luke, it says, Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who was with him at creation, had to grow in favor with him in this earth. Let that sink in for just a minute. Isn't that cool? He came as a man to identify with us and to show us how to walk with God and what it looks like. And if he had to grow, we do. And we'll never grow to the point where we're done. Ever. There's always more to learn. There's always more to know. If Jesus had to grow, we have to grow. And I'm sure there were times as Mary was doing that work that it didn't look exactly like she thought it might. Right? So when she and Jesus' brothers went to get him, they knocked on the door. Remember the disciple went in and said, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are here. And he goes, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? The ones that do the will of my father. I'm sure that wasn't what anything in her plan That wasn't in the baby book of her hopes and dreams for Jesus to just reject her (laughs) in front of man. I'm sure that was never part of her plan. But that's why I love even before in the story where it said, and Mary stored all these words in her heart. And Mary stored all these words in her heart. Mary stored it. She pondered it and stored it all in her heart. You know why? Because when you get to the work, you really need those words stored in your heart. Because you can get in the middle of the work and get tired and get dry and get uh, overworked and overstressed and have to think, am I really where I need to be? Am I really doing what I, maybe I just, maybe I missed it. Because this isn't what I thought it was going to look like. I thought it was going to be a little bit easier. There's going to be a little more Christmas trees and candy canes and a little less piercing of the soul. (laughs) So it's good to have those things stirred in our hearts, stored in our hearts, because that's what we draw on when it gets tough and when the work gets hard. Let's finish up real quick with verses 41 through something. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for Passover festival, and Jesus was 12 years old here, so everyone say, he's not a baby anymore. But Luke included this in the infancy chapter on purpose. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. They lost the Son of God. Three days later, they find... Yeah, explain that to God. 
You, Lord, I lost your son. Could you direct me in the right place? <laughs> we need to find him. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, which means deep anguish and pain of soul. They were frantic. Has any of you ever lost your kids? The mall or what? Oh, it's for So Mary's reaction here, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> to Jesus was the typical reaction of any mother who had lost her 12-year-old son. Hello? <laughs> Did you not think it was necessary to tell us where you were going? You're only 12. And Jesus responded and said, um, why did you need to search? Didn't you just know I was going to be about my father's business? Hello? Duh. You know what? Didn't you hear the angel? I'm the son of God. Eventually, I'm going to have to be out my father's business. <laughs> but they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them, and it was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. You know, Jesus stepped out at 12. He already knew who he was. He knew who his father was. He stepped out at 12, stayed behind in the temple, stayed about his father's business. And that word father there, it shows an intimate relationship. He already had an intimate relationship with his father at 12. But he didn't actually start his public ministry for 18 years. He went home with his mom and, and Joseph, his dad, and submitted to them. He had to, as a teenager, submit to them. And in, Jesus had to wait. Everyone say, Jesus had to wait. Waiting's not really fun. And there's a lot of stuff in that waiting time that is even less fun. Submitting to your parents is not always <laughs> Christmas trees and candy canes. I wonder if he ever looked at Joseph and said, Don't you know who my real dad is? You can't treat me like this. But Jesus submitted to his parents, and there were things in that training season, that prep season, where Jesus had to grow in wisdom and favor and stature. There are things I'm doing now that if he would have plopped me in this position 15 years ago, I would have not been ready. I wouldn't have had the wisdom. I wouldn't have had the, as intimate a relationship with him. I wouldn't have been as effective. It's not about us. Our dreams and what he has called us to do is never about us. Being a shepherd is never to puff the shepherd up. The shepherd's there to care for the sheep. And we want to step out of, of time so much. I want to get there. I just want to be there. And God's like, I'm, you need stuff here. You still need to grow in some wisdom and in some favor and in some grace and in some knowledge and in some study. Let me get some more to you. Because when you do get there, I want you ready so that you can sustain it. 
I would have high-tailed it if I'd have gotten into this position then. It wouldn't have taken more than a month or two to see, uh, 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 I do not have what it takes. I missed it. I'm done. And it wouldn't be that I missed it. It would just mean I'm out of timing. So we push against that timing sometimes. We need to embrace it. We just need to embrace it and say, Father, I don't un- might not understand why I'm waiting, but whatever you need to do while I'm waiting, show me. Let's do it. Amen? God is good. God is good. When it's not all Christmas trees and candy canes, God is good. Last week it was. The shepherds got to see the Savior. It was all good news of great joy. And there's more to the story. There's still more to this Christmas story. You know why? Because every day should be Christmas. It's every day that we should be exalting the name of Jesus. It's every day that we should remember that he was born and he died so that I can be who I am today, his child. He's so good. He's so good. Father, we just thank you. For this time we had around your word, and I just pray that you would break it apart to us as we leave. I shared it as best as I could, and I just pray that you would continue to give the revelation and the wisdom of this message to us. Help us to continue in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of this season to sit back and wonder at who you are, to find ourselves in the purpose of Christmas, to find Emmanuel, God with us, every day of the year. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God is good, right? Well, I'll miss you the next couple Wednesdays, but enjoy your families, or not, depending on what your plans are. And uh, we'll see you all Sunday. And Christmas Eve, don't forget to write it down. Christmas Eve services are 4 and 5.30.